The Razor Show is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Patriots ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers. Then they show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And one of the cool little features, they got this panoramic seat view photo that you can get from every section when you're looking for these game tickets. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to the Razor Show with the Athletics Nick Underhill and Jeff Powell, plus three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. Hey there, this is Matt Chatham, and this is the Razor Show. We don't just do these raps when they win. We got to do them when they lose as well. And I got to be honest, maybe this is a little sadistic, but I kind of enjoy this kind of research. I gave you an extra day to breathe, really me an extra day to breathe, uh, to go in here and really deep dive into what the heck happened in that Ravens game. Had a lot of thoughts, obviously, leading into that thing. Probably did as deep a weekly research as I generally ever do because Baltimore is so bizarre and different. And a lot of the things that I sort of used as assumptions going into the game did not play out dead wrong. Uh, I think in part, if it, you know, we talked about this a little bit going into it. If, if you happen to have read my my column in the Athletic leading into the game, the 14 videos, a lot of those are predicated on okay, they stop the basic early rundown stuff. That's one part, and when that wasn't there, well, yeah, then everything else that comes off that assumption is going to be a major problem. The other one that was really, really uh, sort of mind blowing to me was the approach that the Patriots adopted early defensively. I sort of snarkily looked at the Seahawks game specifically. Uh, I looked back at some of the stuff that we'd seen throughout the course of the year uh, with teams and their approach to Baltimore, and I kind of kind of laughed at it and said, you know what, this is not the right approach. This is not the right way to attack them. Uh, I presumed that you know New England will see this, they will know this, and they will not do something comparable to that because they're an attacking, get in your face, make sure the ball's out early, crowd the line, get after them early kind of defense. They didn't do that. So they did some of the things that I was sort of making fun of that other teams, specifically Seattle, had done too. Now granted, Seattle's doing it for a cover three version, but the Patriots went into their base three four. They sat back pretty passively. They played a super deep field safety guy that wasn't covering the middle third in, in coverage. He was almost like a, a late tackler, if it breaks, the SOS tackler. Uh, and I don't like that approach. And I can tell you what, I don't think the Patriots like it either because they changed in game out of that. So uh, there was a lot of little scheme intricacies that really make for what is your answer to what the fuck happened in this game. And I wanted to go get those. So I know there's a lot of easy takeaways one can do. I had to do them in post game myself for Nesson, you know, late into the night there on that evening. And you think some things and I, it's always so important to go back and check on the things you think you think. And, Unfortunately, the way the NFL does this, and this is why you're getting this late on a Tuesday, is because you don't get the coach's copy until Tuesday. So, um, you know, what we see on Monday is the broadcast. And I can rewatch the broadcast for you, and I can say they didn't do good on X, Y, and Z and go through a game wrap kind of thing. And, and that can give you a certain amount of information. Um, but because this is a loss, and it's a loss that could reverberate through the rest of the season, what I mean by that is other teams might look at this and try to, you know, take this, that, and the other from it and try to replicate it against you. I wanted to go through and say, okay, 
what was the actual scheme answer that the Patriots tried for these plays, plays that failed? What were the ones where they were sort of getting kicked in the teeth? What were they attempting to do? And was that the right answer? And you can't see that stuff from the broadcast, unfortunately. you got to get the super wide view from the coach's copy, and the NFL never drops that until Tuesday. So I had some morning TV with the Patriots. Uh, that We always do our craft sports production show there for uh, – uh, Patriots this week with uh, Bob Sochi and, and Scott Zolak and myself. So that kicked off my early morning on Tuesday. And then after that, I jumped into the film and, you know, spend four or five hours with that thing, just fine tooth combing it. Because I figured this is the kind of thing that you don't want to just have like a, oh, I think this happened thing. I think this is what happened and move on to the next deal. You really, really, really want to know if you're listening to this particular show. Obviously, there are a hundred other places you can go if you'd like sort of the surface answer. But I didn't want to give you the surface answer, and I also didn't want to just go from some some other eyeballs version of what went wrong, because in part I was advocating really heavily moving into this to some specific approaches. I wanted to find out if I was right and had they done those and those failed, or if they just simply went another way. And that's just sort of the nature of professional football. They tried something. There's a rationale behind trying it. It's not as if it's foolish. They're they're smart. They really know what they're doing. But it is a gamble. You know, you make a choice. And I think in this instance, uh, their early choices really, really didn't pay off and a bit of a head scratcher. And the fact that they pivoted so quickly in game away from those completely, I think, was an admission that it wasn't the right choice. And you get down 17 early, and I think those three drives all correlate really well with those choices. Uh, it's easy to see, you know, why things went they went the way they went early in that game, and then later there are still other issues, and we'll we'll dive through all of those. But I think as another takeaway before we go right drive by drive here, um, you know, we talk about this year after year, you know, and, and it's not necessarily on this show; it was on some of my old shows, the the real thing football, the real thing Patriots football podcast, an old one that a lot of my listeners I think transitioned over here with us to the athletic. But when we were doing the real thing, we would go over sort of a a system of what we knew couldn't happen when you travel to play other good teams. I still, and this will maybe I'll get killed for this, but whatever. I, I just I'm gonna stand by my analysis here. I really think that Baltimore has a lot of flaws and a lot of holes, and there's a very specific way you need to go about them and beat them. In the event that you don't address those things, they will gash you. And I think that's in my column. Uh, you know, I hit on that really hard that this is a team that can really make you look bad if you do things a certain way. If you do things a different way and really attack and stress them, well, then they fall apart quite quickly. Uh, but if you don't do that, you never see that stuff, and they can make you look ugly. And they did. And then they could just you know really rip your head off and make it look like the air quote physical domination. To me, this was absolute scheme dominance. I think Greg Roman gets a giant, deep bend of the waist, tip of the cap. Um, he he won this game. He absolutely dominated uh, his his portion of what they schemed against the Patriots and the Patriots' scheme answer for it. But in part, that's why I love football, uh, especially at the professional level, because it's such an intricacy uh, kind of thing. It, it's intricate kind of thing. You you it's all about the choices you make, how the, that that sort of dictate the results. And in football, there are so many different choices. You know, there's a dozen different ways to go at defensively. One single offensive play you're going to see, and. I would say, you know, back to our the sort of old theme thing that you know you can't do. Those choices, those sit in their own little room. That you know, the choices, the the D choice versus the O choice that they make is one thing. The other thing is when you go on the road, and you have to, have to, have to in that kind of environment, uh, come away with with some smart football sequences of plays. If you're going against a challenge like that, that's unique. You absolutely cannot 
shoot yourself in the toe over and over and over again. And that was unfortunately a little bit of what happened here. You see toughness with the Patriots group, mental toughness from the, you know, well, and again, we'll just use their words. Coach Belichick says, we got to coach better. That was literally one of the very first things he comes out and impress her afterwards. He's like, we didn't coach good enough. You know, so he didn't go into guys didn't play well enough. He says straight out, we got to coach good enough. And usually that's, we got to coach better. And that's, I, he hit the nail on the head. Now people are going to, Maybe just brush by that and say, oh, their personnel or the physicality or Lamar's too good and all this kind of stuff. But no, no, no. It's literally the the position. Usually what we always talk about with the Patriots is that they are better than anyone else in the league of putting their people in a position to be successful. And uh, it's putting them in that position to be successful and watching them then become successful that was really sort of the key to their deal. That's that's that sustained success uh, theme. That's that's what's underneath all of what you usually see there on Sundays with them. And this was a week where I don't think they were put in a position to be successful and then clearly weren't uh, through a good chunk of the game. And that's just some stress on the staff that it always happens in a, in a season. You know, you get 16 swings. They're going to be ahead of the curve, the vast majority of them, 18, 19, you know, 80%, 85%, whatever the time. They're going to pick the better choice. They're going to out-execute, out-scheme the other side. But occasionally the other side gets you, and this side got them uh, very, very resoundingly. So um, I, the one thing as I go into that, though, oh, I'm sorry, the whole idea of, of you know, really hitting on the things you can't do. Uh, you know, you jump off the sides on a field goal on a stoppage. You have another drive later in the game that goes, good Lord, I think it's like nine minutes, a 10-minute drive almost. And that drive was restarted twice. Uh, one by a jump off sides on a third and four, and another where they got a tackle stop and they got that stupid, I hate this penalty, but the illegal hands of the face that restarted the drive. So, you know, you're, you're going through all these other things where it's going to be competitive. It's back and forth. The other team's got some, some dynamic, unique kinds of players. It's a super challenge. You started yourself on a monster hole. You dig yourself back out. But then in the fight to get back on top, you make a couple critical errors. And then obviously we know the turnover was a turnover that ends up being a score the other way was just a monster killer. So you put all those things in the cauldron, you turn the temperature up a bit, and you know what? It's just it's too tough to win against a good team on the road that way. But I think what it does is it makes a good team, a unique challenge, a different team. It makes them look great. You can really, really sort of accentuate who they are by you know shooting yourself in the toe over and over and over and over again. So I love from just a X's and O uh, objective, like to see Team X versus Team Y go at one another again. I'd love to see this done again. Um, and the venue doesn't matter. Do it, in, do it in Baltimore. Do it in New England. That doesn't matter. Just based upon scheme choices, that everything done differently, uh, the lessons learned here. Okay, now go do it again. I think this is definitely one of those teams that can shoot their wad a little bit. And that's and I don't know. I know there's a sensitive base on the other side out there that was was going after me hard on Twitter. And it's not to say they're not good. It's not to not respect them. They're unique and very difficult. But that uniqueness and difficultness comes from lack of exposure to them. I think this is this is something I cover in college all the time. You see these offenses in, say, a normal conference that has you know ten teams in it, whatever it may be, and four, three, four, five of these teams will have this unique pistol offense, an RPO element, sometimes veer, sometimes just straight up triple option, sometimes a wing T element. A lot of it's sort of misdirection. It's just meant to confuse you, especially some of these like like academies, like you see the Navy, you see some of these uh, Tulane's one that does a lot of misdirection stuff. You know the I you know those stuff where it's not what you 
see every week. And what helps you when you're in a conference or you see that is you see it every single year. You get the formulas about how to face them. I think it makes a lot more sense to me, a lot more sense now, uh, watching the division teams in the AFC, what is that, Central now or whatever it is, whatever, whatever this division is with Pittsburgh and, and, and uh, Cincinnati and, and Cleveland. They get more exposure to this. They figure out the scheme stuff better. The Patriots, and it's not just a Patriots thing. I think this is across the NFL. You're at a major, major disadvantage facing Baltimore uh, in, in just a one-off. You know, when you haven't seen them all year, uh, you play a bunch of other teams that play wildly different offenses in this one, and you get three days to figure it out. And there were so many times where it's like, oh, man, you could actually get some college consultants into here, guys that face this in college conferences and see something like it similar and go, oh, no, 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 that you can't run that against that. No, 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 you, you, that, you, that's not the way to play that look. And uh, I think that was sort of a repeated theme throughout this game where, you know, that this is it was a college offense and a very, very well executed college offense. Uh, it's meant to confuse you. It's meant to rub you off. It's meant to have you step in the wrong direction, then get sealed. Um, there were plays and you just never, ever see this in Patriots football. There were offensive plays where you would have four guys to the point of attack lose their block. You just and it's not from physicality, it's missteps. You know, you the, it's guessing, it's the non-aggressive get over the line stuff. It's the stand and read and read the wrong way, and you see boom, 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 seal all four spots, and it's just a walk, and that is exposure. That is not having a natural reaction to the play because you haven't repped that enough. You haven't seen it enough. You're quickly fooled by it. The play design does exactly what it means to do against you. And that's the stuff that when you're when you're used to seeing these goofy offenses, you get better at it. You learn the play. You learn where you're supposed to step. You learn where the trap step is so you don't go into it. But this just had the feel of, you know, jumping into the spider web over and over and over again. And you learn from it. And it was probably actually very good. You know, it hurts a little bit going down, but I think this was medicine that can really help the Patriots in the long run in the event that they run into that team again. But in saying all that, before we dive right into the games in particulars itself, I think it's really important to understand that the Philadelphia Eagles, to a certain extent, uh, the Houston Texans, to a maybe a greater extent, uh, are going to look at that film and they're going to attempt to replicate some of that because until the Patriots go back and find out the best approach to some of this stuff, which was often the polar opposite of what they chose, people, oh, it's a copycat league. We always say that. They're going to go back and try to replay those play concepts and see if the Patriots have it down yet. We'll get into exactly what those are here as we plow through, but. I thought uh, as a general theme, doing all those little things that you can't do on the road, you know, giving, you know, restarting drives, well, like half a dozen times from either penalties or jump offside stuff or missed, you know, missed particulars that you usually see New England do, having a turnover that results in a quick score the other direction, coming out incredibly slow both on offense and defense. Um, you know, that's just a formula for loss, regardless of who you're playing. And in, and in fairness to Baltimore, I think their defense has a real good chance to continue to improve because they just got their middle linebacker back. They just got Jimmy Smith back on the back end. They just got they had some improved health on the back end. And, uh, you know, their, their tackling machine dude is now available. And it took what was a super-duper vulnerable group and I think bumped them up to a, an average group. And average is good enough if it's that much of a stress on the other side with the offense. We'll see where those guys are at down the road. We know that Baltimore actually has to play Houston here really quick, so it'll be interesting to see a couple AFC contenders that are now nipping at the Patriots' heels because of the loss, um, how they handle one another. 
it's it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. The Patriots had a big step back, but it's just one loss, and I think it's a real rich lesson loss. So let's walk through all of this stuff, and uh, I'm not going to keep you on here for an hour-long show, but I do want to hit on the high points, and I do want to give you sort of the technical answers so the water cooler stuff doesn't bleed into just hot takes. There are some real reasons why this stuff happened, and uh, it's it's not always the things that even I definitely would have said myself if I hadn't gone back and looked them up, because you certainly get impressions from the broadcast, but there are technical answers to what went down. Now, initially, the Patriots basically count it this way. Defensively, three first bad three bad first drives. Now, granted, in some of them, they got the red zone stop, so they, they did poorly, let them go down the field get the red zone stop and at least force the field goal. Field goal it's, it's obviously incredible to kick in the nuts to have to get, let them go 70 yards or whatever, 60-some-plus yards down the field. Uh, then do the stop and then jump off sides and have a restart. So you're happy about the stop. You're like, okay, well, the overall defense wasn't anything like what we've seen in the last eight games, but they did get the red zone stop and then you, you, know, you jump off sides. On a field goal. So, you know, I do understand. I, sh- I should touch on that real quickly uh, about the, the offsides on the field goal thing. Here's how it's coached in special teams. You're never, ever, ever supposed to move upon anything other than the ball itself. You can do a simulated start. Technically, it's illegal, but I am not going to call that cheating or something that every every team does it, right? You're supposed to let the center, Lonnie Paxson, our old guy, he was a master at it. And he would, without moving the ball or maybe even just flexing his fingers a little bit, he would raise his head quickly. And it's not technically a simulated start unless he flexes the elbows, moves his arms as well, actually picks and lifts the ball. It's just the head movement and even the so slight of flex, flex of your fingers. You, you can't be surprised by that. It, it, it's going to happen. The Patriots do it really well to draw people off. I just don't think you can be like, oh, that's bullshit, because you don't want it to be bullshit, because the Patriots use it as well. What you want is better discipline in that moment, knowing they're going to probably try to fuck with you. It's third and four. That five resets things. You just have to say, you know what? At this down and distance, we're probably not about to block this field goal anyway. Tucker, Tucker gets a great elevation on his ball. You know, there's no the, the payoff for getting a half second start uh, isn't that high. Sit in there, get a push that you can, but don't 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 jump off sides. I don't think the gripe about that. Oh, that he moved the ball a little bit. You know, whatever. That's part of it. You can't go until the ball snapped. When the ball snapped, then you move. Not the head movement. You have to almost from film study be anticipating that that they're going to try to fuck with you, much like the Patriots do on theirs. They're, they, you know, the, you know, we've seen the Patriots do it over and over again. We did it during our days. This is a 20-year-old theme, uh, the quick line shift to draw you off sides uh, or to make you get a false start when they're on defense. Offensively, to do the quick shift to see if they can get someone to jump across and then touch you. Uh, yeah, the, the head race on the, on the field goal snap stuff, the punt stuff. The, we do this all the time. This is part of the game, and uh, the Patriots failed on it, and, and it restarted and ended up giving seven points. So that's unfortunate, but... Into the defensive portion, that just as a general theme for these first three deals, and what I think is is from my own personal experience, and even as a, a goofy little youth football coach now, um, you you understand kind of the themes that defensively make life a little harder for your players. And I am a big advocate of the three-four defense. You can't play that with youth football stuff because it's too technical, and you need two gappers and things like that, and you end up in just straight gap stuff with young kids, even in high school. Uh, and even in most colleges, but even the teams that will do 3-4 at the college level generally don't do it as a full-time two-gapping stuff because you need experts. You know, you need expert defensive end noses to be able to two-gap, actually win two gaps, hold up and punch, and build the wall, the whole thing they say. The problem that you get into with uh, two-gapping against 
who the fuck has the ball offenses. And that's what it is. It's who the fuck has the ball offense. That's what Baltimore is. Uh, there's a mesh point from the pistol. Where is it? The quarterback or back that has it. There's a misdirection element with the blocking backs. Uh, the fullback is going to come sometimes to misdirect you. Some, sometimes he's going to motion, not motion, but on the snap of the ball, go from one side to the other, and the ball doesn't actually follow him. It's a miskey. It's a misread. It's there intentionally so to make you misstep. In situations like that where it's, there's there's lies. There's lies purposely built into the play. You'd rather not be in a sit and read situation because that's what three four defense is. Now, granted, I'm 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 trying to give you this information to help you better explain it to your buddies at the water cooler, to better explain or maybe understand exactly what it is that's going on, and just maybe understand the basic theme here that sit read either side of a gap kind of thing when you're when the other team is attempting to confuse you. It's sort of a, a setup to fail. And I understand the rationale for it if you're like, okay, we just cannot allow the explosive element play. We're going to concede the fall-off tackle. And that's what I mean by uh, – well, fall-off tackle basically means when you're sitting and reading as opposed to shooting a gap, as opposed to my nose is going to hit the A gap and try to get two or three yards of uh, penetration and that's going to F up the mesh point. I'm going to get into the backfield with all of my people. I'm going to crowd the line. I'm going to let the linebackers come down and hit it hard. Uh, my ends are going to penetrate to screw up the mesh point, to screw up, uh, and, 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 and rather than guess who has it, go get it. Um, and the go get it situations, I think you increase your odds of success. The sit and read stuff that you do in a 3-4 can work really good. It does work great, obviously, the history of this team, uh, when you can predict the point of attack. And what that means is when you know it's going to be, okay, they've built a tight end and a formation here with an offset back, and on the snap of the ball, you can tube a gap because you can know that there's a real likely point of attack side, point of attack being where the ball is going to enter, enter to the to the strong, strong side of the formation. If it cuts back, you have a cutback player. But when there is no obvious point of attack and you go balance 3-4, guy on the nose, ends are balanced, outside linebackers are balanced, inside linebackers are balanced, all basically seven players are hitting straight ahead and then guessing which side or the other it's going to go. There's a passiveness to that kind of approach. You're basically, you know, you can come down quickly and build a wall, but which side of the block is it going to go on? Guys fall off to the side. So you kind of tackle in a manner that it's, you're going to grab him and he's going to fall forward a couple yards. And that's tough. And it just, and especially when in the passes, Passivity? Is that the word? Uh, but in the, in the idea of hitting and reading as you're hitting, or really just standing and reading as you're going through it, when you lean to a side because you think you've read something over the other, they can often jump as blockers and get leverage on you. And they quickly do, and that's where you get gashed. That was the play I referenced. There's a really bad one. Maybe I'll try to throw it up on Twitter to give you the sense of it. I think it was the Marquise Brown reverse play, maybe the second drive or so. But uh, that was one of those plays where you see several guys hitting, standing, reading in a 3-4, and four blocks lose, you know, three blocks lose, whatever it was. And then it's all down to Marquise on the tap forward thing in space. And the only tackler there to get him is the free safety coming from 16 yards. It's just too easy. And and the the alternative to that is everyone fires across the ball and the penetration blows the play up. Now, the thing that bothers you with penetration against his stuff is he pulls it out and throws a dump pass or you penetrate and they throw a big, big post pattern and it's all out of your hand quickly. That's the alternative. But I think the sit and read stuff is very, very dangerous if you you guess 
wrong. If you get people leaning one direction and live with the lie, the lie can beat you bad. And that's that's what we saw uh, in this game. And, and again, all the stuff I'm sort of building up here, I would invite you back to my Twitter feed. I'll try to get up a few examples that obviously better visit, you know, visually illustrate what it is I'm talking about than just my my voice here. Uh, but I think the three four stand in it, be balanced, be symmetrical. Not sure which way it's going to go. There's a passive nature to that against these kind of offenses. Offenses. There's a straight up I formation quarterback under center, uh, fullback, tight end, even two tight ends, no fullback, and it's a more traditional offense. Even with motion, that doesn't matter. Uh, three four is a kick ass defense. It's a great way to go at it. Three four against this stuff with the big guys, it just doesn't work that well. It really, really doesn't. And uh, I think that was that was illustrated in spades on the first three drives, and they bailed out of it at that point. So I think that's very telling. So scheme choice, scheme loss, it happens in football. You can't play them all. You got to make a choice. You make a gamble. They went the wrong way. Um, I would say that. Uh, one as general theme, and it's something that I was kind of snarky about leading into the game because Seattle did it. Now, Seattle played thirds, uh, so they played cover three. And what that means is your corners are off and bail with that outside, you know, read it, the outside technique, reading back and through the man, the man on the line. You're reading around pass through that, but you're bailing because you're a thirds player, right? And uh, the free safety is middle thirds. And, the free, and then they roll down with the strong safety to generally strength uh, into the box or at least late to the box. What that invariably does is it has your sa- your safety standing out there at 15, sometimes 20 yards once the play gets going from the action. And I kind of mocked it in my videos there on the athletic column about, man, you know, he's covering nobody. And he really could be helpful down here in the play. We actually saw in the Patriots game uh, some split safety stuff. Now, granted, I don't think they were at 14 and they were down like 10, 12 range, but they were doing something that I kind of made fun of that Seattle was doing. Seattle did it more in the red zone, though. But the Patriots early went with some lighter box stuff, six in the box, and then the safeties are there basically as second-wave tacklers, you know, and, and and I hated it, you know. So, again, it's those guys, they had a plan. They had a, they had a try, and, you know, I'm sure half the shit that I recommend would has its own way of failing, but we don't see that. So it's not as – and it's really easy. I put, throw my hand up in the air. Obviously, it's really easy to Monday morning quarterback. I get that. So, you know, you can see what didn't work, and the obvious must have been better, right? Hey, you're a genius. That's, that's not – I completely get that. They got to make the gamble. It's their necks on the line. But I think the lesson that's going to come out of this, not from New England, but for really any any team that's going to watch that film and go back and say, we have to choose a choice against Baltimore. They're doing some shit that's really starting to they, – they really did something here in this game that they haven't even done in, in the eight games prior. So this this was an explosive offensive performance for Baltimore, a, the best offensive performance from Baltimore relative to anything they've done before that. So And that's in why, part why I felt so good about the Patriots' defense going in. I expect the aggressive attack, give them problems kind of approach. And uh, their best offensive performance of the year was in this game. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with the approach that New England took. So anyhow, um, the deep field player, there was a lot of just wasted real estate, I thought, covering no one. I, I guess the philosophy there is there's a real concern that if they break the first tackle that you need the, the SOS tackler back there. Uh, not shit on a shingle. We're looking more here at the help me. You know, you need the help player, the the last man of defense tackler. I just thought that was so outside the sort of mo that the Patriots have built up through this historic streak through for eight games that uh, 
it was more conceding that you're more of a concern to us than we are to you. And you hate this. You know, I think that's in part why they were so pissed on the sidelines. You see Dante Hightower screaming, you know, saw it on the broadcast, upset with the guys, in part because they know they're better than that. And I think when they got back into what they do best, you saw how good they can be against it. Got several stops. And granted, there are still two scores late where it wasn't, it still wasn't good enough. I mean, you were out of this other stuff. And we'll just we'll, we'll talk through what that was, but I think there's enough here to way it's like okay, let's get back to who we are, and those moments were actually very promising. Um, they were often short of attacker at the point of attack, and I think what happened that you can see if you go back and are interested in any of the particulars of the plays, it was a lack of a reaction to motion. And a lot of times you see quarterback, you see Brady do this all the time. He sends a guy in motion, and whether or not a guy motions with him, you can tell if it's man or zone, right? Guy, defender goes with the motion, you're a man. Defender doesn't, you're in zone. But think about it independent of the pass coverage and think what it does to the run front. Baltimore did this several times, and again, I'm sort of encapsulating the first three drives because I think those were different than the change that came later. The, the, the Ravens would put themselves in something and then start that early motion. And without movement by the Patriots, when the Patriots just say, okay, do your motion, we're staying in our 3-4, that also left them short oftentimes at the point of attack because that motion, then the ball would follow that motion. And that person was often the fullback, and the fullback would be an additional blocker with the quarterback as a runner and the guy who doesn't get the ball as basically an extra blocker and gap. So if you don't come over with that motion or shift the line with that motion, you end up short a gap uh, at the point of attack. And that is something that the colleges that face this stuff all the time, that's sort of a one-on-one thing for them. And again, it's not the it, it, it's it's understandable that you screw it up even at the professional level because you don't go against it that often. These are college concepts. But if you are going to stay in a zone and they flip the motion quickly, you need to either spin the safeties or somehow get another body over there because if they quickly just run to it and you don't you know, overload with sort of your flow or pursuit to that side, you end up short of body. And that happens several times where it's like, okay, someone's got to make an exceptional beat the one-on-one block and cover two gaps kind of thing. And that's a lot of stress. And it didn't happen. <laughs> they, they got gashed. And I think that's one of the things, again, even in game, they realized it and made the change. But it's really tough when you go on the road and you get down three drives, basically, uh, you know, two two touchdowns and a field goal, and the strobe light shit starts in a very in a difficult place to play. Uh, in part for not sort of, you know, for coming in with an approach that puts you a little bit behind the eight ball off the start. Um, I, I think that the, the slow reaction, slow or no reaction to motion um, when things would flip, when they'd flip the point of attack and it wasn't a lie. They gave it to you, you went with it, and you just tried to play it balanced. That was a killer for New England. So, I again, give that a checkbox as sort of a theme. How they react to and how they deal with motions early was, was, was off. Uh, and something I anticipate they'll see it. They're they're infinitely smarter than I am as far as this stuff. Bill is the Bill's the best, but all all I can do is after seeing it, going well, yeah, that you can't do that. I'm sure he'll see it, you know, hours, you know, many 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 miles before I would have. But and you know, you saw him on the on the sideline watching Bill in the broadcast. Got his little sheet out. He's checking. He's checking. They're having opportunities to go back and flip stuff, and they do it in game. It's much easier for you know a former player to come back and watch it two days later and say, oh yeah, now I get it. But in game, it's where it's really difficult. So I think there were a lot of lessons learned from this where it's like, okay, we can't we can't do that again next time. It doesn't put us in a position to be successful. Um, now we're into the fourth series. Now fourth fourth series out. Um, 
they got out of the three-man line. So fourth series on, they got out of the three-man line. They went four-man line, and you have two inside guys off the ball. So four-man line means we're actually not going to cover up the center anymore. Uh, and I thought Danny Shelton, who was playing that nose position early, whenever he was in there uh, early, uh, as the 3-4 get, he got killed. And it's not because I don't think Danny's been having a great year, but Danny has been so much better when you allow him to be aggressive, plow through. When he had to stand and read, he was catching doubles, you know, guessing to a side, getting turned quite easily. And I think you kind of take away what Danny's been good at. So the, the sit and read... Now, nose in a 3-4, Danny can be really good at that if we're talking traditional run game. But if we're talking guess which side because the quarterback might be a runner <laughs> and the motion this way and that way and you know moving tight ends to change the point of attack and the fullback with a line key, just there was too much standing, reading, getting beat. And you know I think it, it, it extends to, to Lawrence Guy as well. Lawrence has been a stud for this team for a couple years, several years here. A really, really good player for them. Highly underrated. Uh, but this wasn't the kind of situation that put him in a spot to be successful, at least early. Standing, reading, sometimes getting blocked by the second tight end. I think Boyle uh, cracked down on uh, on Lawrence Guy and actually really, really one-on-one -on -one blocked him, sealed him in good. And I was like, oh, that's a block that, that Lawrence normally dominates, tosses him into the stands kind of thing. But when you're sitting, reading, and waiting in more of a, a basic 3-4 kind of look, you know, you have to stand and hold it, and you're guessing. And while you're staring in the backfield and guessing, this big guy's pushing on you. If you're allowed to be more aggressive and there's the less of the guessing element, you do much better. So, again, I think approach, they got out of it. They went four-man line. They allowed them to fly up the field, use their aggressiveness and strength. What did you see out of that? A three and out. It was a three and out. The, the switch that they made came on the four series, and then when they got out of three-man down, four-off-the-ball stuff, they were much better. The other thing that happens here when you move out of the 3-4, Jamie Collins was essentially wasted, in, in my view, those first three series because Jamie was playing outside linebacker in a 3-4. Uh, he was involved in the Marquise Brown uh, reverse play that went straight up to Devin. It was a freaking gashing, one of the ugliest plays of the first three. And Jamie is didn't do a very good job as a force player. I got a little nosy. It bounces outside of him, doesn't set it and turn it inside. Uh, but, you know, he was just one of three or four blocks that got turned on the play. I think you lose Jamie's brilliance when he's so good when you don't let him go be aggressive. When he's a stop-and-read player, uh, it's just not to his strengths. When they made that change to the four-man line later in the four series on, Jamie's now back inside as an off-the-ball linebacker with Dante Hightower. So Hightower and Jamie inside, one crashing the line, the other one reading or maybe in coverage on the back. That was so much better for them. And this four-man line stuff where you're using four down, Two off the ball, Hightower and Collins, as I mentioned. And then the DBs who are in the game, the safeties, maybe McCourty, maybe Chung, maybe J Jonathan Jones, now down filling the box up. You get your eight with more of the fast bodies, and the four-man line is up the field, not over center as one of those, one of the downs, uh, getting double teamed and guessing and getting turned. All four, two over, two each side of center, blasting up the field and giving yourself a better chance. You beat the misdirection shit with penetration. You stand and read, they, they fucking kill you. And that's that's a, that's just sort of a, a, a college thing. Uh, you can go and talk to any of the defensive coordinators in some of these, you know, even FCS conferences, the ones I see a lot. Or, you know, even in there, you know, like a Georgia Tech kind of thing. I guess that's more veer. But if, uh, you know, Navy, some of these teams are just running the goofy shit. The last thing you want to do is sit back and try to, after they've, after they've confused you, fall off and make the tackles. You tend to get gashed. It's just not the best approach. And I think they'll have learned that lesson 
you know, as much as anyone in America after this particular week. Um, offsides on the third and fourth stop at the 11 minute mark in the fourth. So I am obviously, you know, plowing forward here quite, quite, a, quite a distance here with the, with the, uh, the defense. So I'm giving the defense credit for, you know, it gets to 17. It was abysmal. They, they really got schooled, I think by Greg Roman to that point, but they adjusted and had several really good series. And all of a sudden you're like, that's the crew. They even had the, their hands on the ball. I want to count three. It might've been four, uh, with just sort of eyeball skimming my, my, my notes here real quickly in the moment. I, I want to say it was three ish times. They had a hand on the ball. Uh, I believe Jason McCourty on a PBU that they tried to fit into a tight end popped it up into the air. There was one where Danny Shelton got a hand up, popped it in there. There was one where, uh, who was that? Uh, Adam Butler had one popped up in the air. The Patriots did, and we know that that had been a major, major thing for them in previous weeks where they did a great job of just getting the ball off people. They got Lamar to throw into some bad places uh, once they had made that cha- that change fourth series in. And unfortunately, in this particular, you know, at least from a Patriots perspective, unfortunately, in those moments where they got their hands on the ball in this game, uh, they didn't come out, come away with it. So, you know, that's that's good fortune for the other side. I think they were in position to make those plays. Didn't in this game as much as they did other times. Uh, because I flipped forward here so far towards the end of the game, I would say, obviously, uh, Kyle Vannoy made that awesome play where he got the strip on, on, I believe it was Ingram. But, you know, comes in, gets the ball off him, major turnover. We all know about the Cyrus Jones turnover in the punt earlier, but that that punt for or the, the fumble forced by Van Noy there big big time play but it's not a, it's not a it's not a fluke that's what they do and they did it well again in this game it was a big time play that got them back in this and then you sort of saw the toughness from the defense uh, to to get themselves back in this game but then it turned with a couple really ugly drives later we'll get to those but the real disappointing part of this of this late drive was that it was restarted twice and this is just the the kind of thing that you can't have in a tight game uh, where you've you know you had the slow start, you're down this many points, you fought your way back. The offense is now starting to groove, and you've actually the, the Patriots defense actually stopped the Ravens offense twice on what ended up being a long drive and score. So that's the kind of killer stuff that you can't have. You want to be a champion, all that kind of stuff, and they'll they'll figure it out. I'm not worried about that, but that's the kind of stuff that was. Anti used to see and not do the stuff that we usually laugh at other teams for doing that say, ah, they didn't do smart football on the end. And it's the, you usually just sit back and wait for them to, to allow the other team to beat themselves. And I thought in this instance, the Patriots, you know, down the stretch didn't have that sort of smart football ammo that they usually do offsides on the third and four. Uh, they had actually stopped them at the 11 minute mark of the fourth that restarts the drive. They had gotten stops late, two stops in this same drive that ends up being a long score that were both undone by penalties of their own. So uh, uh, I'll kind of dig a little deeper here into this particular drive. Uh, There was this thing I would call like swap, uh, sort of a swap route, swap motion. I don't know exactly what the phrase is they'll use. But whenever a back aligns to one side of the quarterback but then runs his route to the other, that's really – uh, sometimes they do something called swap boot, where the quarterback starts in one direction and then the the boot act, the route for the boot action comes from the other side. So you're you're really meant to sort of uh, you know overreact to one side and the route sneaks out to the other side. They did this with Mark Ingram excellently. I thought this is another really good scheme scheme sort of twist here that Greg Roman put in that the Patriots didn't do a great job of handling. But Mark Ingram would be extended out to say Lamar Jackson's left. He's in gun. Mark Paul, or excuse me, Mark is called back into the uh, to the backfield. He's aligned in the gun to the side of uh, 
of Lamar Jackson to his left. And the, upon the motion, he brings back in the linebacker with him. But then as he as the play starts, he runs his route to the right. So he goes underneath Lamar and then out the other side. And in that wash, you know, the linebacker that had motioned back in with him never gets out to the other side to cover. So he's slow. He's a step slow. And you're really not in a great position to make it from there. And one time, one thing that will often happen with uh, one back in the backfield and, you know, depending on the number count of linebackers in there, uh, there's often, you know, two on one. You have two linebackers to handle the one back, but sometimes through the traffic, and that's why they're doing it. They're, they're sending them through traffic. They're basically sending the back from one side of the quarterback out the other side, and he gets lost in the wash. There's all these crossing routes going on in front of the linebacker, coming from maybe the slot part or the tight ends crossing in front of them, but they did a great job of creating a, a, a bunch of traffic problems for the linebackers, uh, and they didn't handle it very well at all. So uh, that was, and one of the things that I thought was really crazy on this particular Mark Ingram one, it was a this swap thing on third and four. It's one thing to put yourself in a situation where it's a little difficult to pick up that 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 particular route from from off the ball, but it's another thing also that if you only bring four, so you bring four and then get that, it makes the play take longer. You almost know it's going to take longer. So if you're getting that kind of if, – if you know you got a tough spot to get through the wash, it helps you immeasurably as a defensive player, as a coverage player, as a linebacker on a tight end or back who has to get through all that bullshit. It helps you a ton if there's pressure coming on the quarterback. But if the quarter there isn't because you're just rushing four and Lamar is able to wait it out – you're getting screwed. So I think this was one of those plays, again, I'm inside the 11-minute mark here, down in the 10s or something like that in that fourth quarter. This was, hey, they got him to third and, and manageable again, third and four. Another stop coming. And the choice not to pressure was bizarre to me. It's just not who the Patriots have been about this season. They're get after you, get in your face. We're going to bring seven. You know, fuck it. We're going to go get you, make life harder on you. This was make life harder on the defense. So you're, you're handling a difficult route through a bunch of craziness and actually only sending four. So it allows them to come out of the wash much easier than the coverage player. Again, I think that's the kind of deal that the approach changes the next time. Uh, and then that one was extended. That's your second play where I was like, oh, that's you had him. And then you, you made a questionable decision, and it makes for a difficult execution on the play. Then you have the third and seven. So they're getting stops again. They're doing much better on first and second drive here later, first and second down here later in the game. And they get the illegal hands of the face by Jason McCourty. And, you know, I hate that call. I hate that penalty. I think it's one of the stupid penal- stupidest penalties in sports. They're, literally, the play can restart. You give the ball to the offensive player. He can put his hand right in the defender's face no matter what. You can stiff arm to the face mask all day long, and they, they, they make highlights of it on NFL Network at their own website. So this is awesome. Watch him you know, bash the defensive player's face with a stiff arm. Isn't that cool? And defensively, you can't touch the other guy's face. Like, I'm just talking even graze it. Even if it's a punch, a light punch, you're wearing a steel mask in front of your face. It's so fucking stupid. But it is a call. It does exist in the game. It's an idiotic foul. Beyond just idiotic, it actually, you know, it'd be one thing if it's like, okay, five yards, restart the play. You know, you no loss of down. You just get to do it again. In this instance, it would be third and seven, make it third and two. It, it really has nothing to do with the play. This ended up being an incompletion that had nothing to do with the guy that got the so-called illegal hands of the face. But McCourty jabs Sneed, hits him. Yes, does graze his face mask, whatever, punch it a little bit. But it doesn't hurt. It doesn't do anything to the player. Uh, if you can jab him in the chest versus the head, why? 
Why would it matter? Why is the offensive player able to do that to the other guy? And again, everything I'm mentioning here is just how stupid the rule is. But yeah, I guess in, you know you have to say, well, it's it's also stupid for, to do it. And even if the rule is dumb, you can't do it. And that's kind of what happened here. So uh, Jason McCourty's got to keep his hands down. Got to keep him a little lower. Got to keep the jab to the shoulder pad or chest. But I know it's easier said than done here from from my little podcast chair because you know guy drops his head and you were jamming for the chest and now the face mask gets hit. But it's just so silly and dumb to me that that exists in the game. But, again, that's the third, third reset of a drive that otherwise would have been stopped because this was one of the one moments where where Jackson looked overwhelmed in the pass game. He had to drop back. He makes a poor decision, throws a wild ball, but the drive gets restarted. So the real scintillating runs that this guy had, the real crazy back out the back of the pocket, reverse field, just can't be touched. That stuff came after this. And it's this. It's just Lamar is clearly one of those guys that you just can't keep giving him extra chances. Ball in your hand three times, don't get it. Uh, you know, restart three drives on a fourth down situation. He's going to capitalize because then, oh, you keep giving me more chances. Now let's scramble, baby. Now let me keep the ball in one of these one of these runs where you haven't adjusted exactly uh, as is as is probably the ideal situation. And then he takes off. So that was really what that drive became about. And uh, I just thought the way they handled running back pickup throughout the day wasn't ideal. And I think one of the ways that this will be uh, sort of described in public circle, and I don't necessarily agree with it, is that the Patriots linebackers got exposed as coverage players. Come on, they had they had they had to deal with Le'Veon Bell. They had to deal with John Connor. They had to deal with you know look look down the schedule. Uh, Frank Gore maybe not as much of a back threat anymore. But uh, well, I'm trying to think of who else was on the schedule. Washington has, uh, what's his name? Um, they have a real good pass catching back. Anyway, the point is, there have been games throughout this year where there are good pass catching backs that they've had to face. Mark Ingram is not, you know, head and shoulders above any of those guys. He's comparable to some of the best that they've seen. I know that they haven't seen great overall offenses, but this is not the first time where a linebacker has been asked to cover a back. And that same, oh, exposed by making them cover. They've been covering backs all year. I don't know if people were unfamiliar with that. So I don't think that's some new new key. I think it's how they accounted for the backs, how they decided to pick them up, uh, whether or not they jammed them on the way out by the ends, whether or not they, they put pressure on enough them, on them to keep them in. Because you can force them to stay in with pressure. If you sit back, well, then the back gets to release. And I think that's as much of the story here as whether or not they had to cover. Uh, and yeah, yeah, Landon Roberts is not, you know, his ideal thing is coming down and blowing stuff up. He's awesome at that. Uh, on some of these swap plays, you know, he got caught in situations where he had to cover either a tight end or back out in space. And yeah, that would be used to air quote expose. I don't like that. It's not as if Landon can't cover up most backs, but most linebackers are air quote exposed. If you give them an extended play and they have to cover backs are faster than linebackers. Congratulations. That's that's not really this. I think this is more about the approach that they took to pick up the backs, the way they picked them out, uh, the way they didn't handle traffic well on the other side. So um, it's something that they'll look at, and I'm sure they'll try to account for a different way uh, moving forward. And you know, I thought Jawan Bentley, who has been exceptional, he made a really nice uh, tackle for loss late in the game, had some positive plays, but he was he was looking like a young player in several instances here where he got caught up in the wash himself. He had some missteps on the misdirection stuff. Easy as I always for me to just sit here and and point out what went wrong. It's not easy. It's clearly very difficult. But I thought he was a guy that you know they took advantage of a little bit uh, by virtue of you know misdirection stuff, and it fooled the young player who hadn't seen as many reps at that kind of stuff. So, sort of a whole amalgam of things going on there. A lot of different stuff in the pot, and it, it ultimately ended up in a, a very impressive Baltimore offensive performance here on the day against a good group that didn't show anywhere near their best defensively. 
Um, there was then this, uh, the, the nine minute drive at the end was just gross. That's kind of what I'm talking about here where it's like, okay, you see a drive that goes that long from the 12 minute mark down to the three minute mark. And it's restarted that many times. And it's that many third down conversions. This was a Patriots defense that on the year was holding teams to 18.8% on third down conversions. Tremendous on a, on third down conversions. They had just been killing people on third downs, getting after people on third downs. They got smoked on third. It was a 50% conversion rate on third down for this game. So that's a major, major factor in this. So it's not, and again, I think that's a better way to retell the story in, in truthfulness of what went down on this day. They, after you know, holding those first three drives aside in their own little sort of cell off to the side, uh, the stuff that came after was quite good, generally speaking, on first and second down. It was just the not doing third downs like they usually do third downs later. And that was the killer. You know, good on first, good enough on second, third and four-ish, third and six-ish, third and seventh and seven, and giving away those conversions. And it wasn't exclusively, hey, Lamar takes off and you just can't get him. There was a play or two of that. I'm, we, we know those plays and those are the highlight stuff. But I think the greater theme was, you know, not handling the crossing tight end stuff, not handling, uh, you know, the, 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 the pick stuff. And there is that one play that is a defensive player. This has got nothing to do with Patriots bias or anything like that. I think they absolutely screwed the defense did on the uh, the fourth down where they went for it in the fourth down in the second half there, and they ran the pick play clear as day. A receiver was not running around; he was running is running directly at the receiver so that they could sort of little make the little X, make the little rub. It was not a route. He just throws his hands up in the air as he's doing it, but he was clear he was not running around. He's contacting it four yards off the line of scrimmage, so it's clearly not the one thing. Uh, that was the one that Brian Flores uh, Flores uh, Flores I say that, <laughs> uh, challenged against. The the Patriots earlier this year and won, got the overturn. And uh, I really wondered if that would have been worth it for Bill to challenge because that was not a route. That was bullshit. They went for it on fourth down. They got it. That was an obvious pick. It didn't. It isn't the story of the game. That's why I didn't leave with that. I mean, we're 45 minutes into this pod, and that's why I mention it now. That was one where they got kind of screwed. But I'm sure the Patriots, or on the other side, the Ravens could say that the Patriots had one play they got with away with two. Um, so it is what it is. But I, I don't like that uh, the way that that play should be an easy call. You have to really be turning, sitting, throwing your hands at the quarterback, not running at the defensive back and throwing your hands up in the air. That's a screen. It's just so obvious. It's not a route. You wouldn't run your route at the player. So uh, they didn't sell that for shit, and they got away with a bad one, and it, it kept the drive going. And again, that's another points drive. So um, that was uh, it was one of those days. Uh, and again, you, you don't feel sorry for them that they that they lose on that call because they shot themselves in the toe on so many other instances. So that's the big story there defensively. I think the one thing that you can take away from this is that it's it's the Baltimore game, and uh, most of the stuff I'm saying here, other than maybe maybe potentially Houston, this stuff won't. Return, you know. I, mean, I guess t- technically, I'll have to look a little deeper at the at the Philly stuff, and we'll do that going forward. But they've had a lot of problems, and their quarterbacks know Wentz is nowhere near as mobile. Uh, maybe a slightly better passer than 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 uh, Jackson, but they have, that offense has been struggling this year as well. But that doesn't mean that they won't attempt to sort of replicate some of these concepts and see if they can fool them the same way. I imagine the Patriots are done with base three four stuff if you're getting the the pistol and read option stuff. The RPOs just, I, you know, I don't know. That's uh, 
uh, it's just not it, it's just not the best approach. If they come back and yeah, I guess these teams will hop on it, and maybe the Baltimore stuff does carry it forward. But I think my greater sense is the Patriots' off defense is just there's too much of a too smart of a staff over there. They made one move, didn't work. They got out of it quickly, and we probably don't see it again against those kind of things. Doesn't mean that the the, the Eagles won't try it. Doesn't mean that Houston, who's maybe a little more built to try it, won't go after it. Um, and they'll have to meet those tests later. But in the interim, I think we start seeing different challenges, stuff that will feel and look a little more like what you saw the first eight games. But sometimes it's good to get kicked. You know, sometimes it's good to get the ego knocked a little bit and sort of refresh and restart, take a look at yourself, be critical. Uh, you can't do everything great, uh, and you kind of learn a lot yourself to play to your strengths. And this team, is, as an organization, as an organization has always been really good at doing just that. Now, offensively, uh, I think one of the big points here, if I want to sort of encapsulate, not go drive by drive offensively. I did that for defense because I think that's the big question mark in everyone's mind. What the hell happened with that? I thought it made more sense to go drive by drive with them. Offensively, I'll just make this a five to ten minute. Here were the themes that stuck out kind of deal. I think this this should not be overlooked. And if you want to, you know, a sort of asterisk or star a, a big portion of, of, of this entire pod, I thought this was one of the biggest problems of the first three drives that really helped Baltimore get off to the fast start that really inhibited New England to, to, to answer and counter. The Patriots had an atrocious first defensive drive. There's zero question about that. Roman schemed up a, a, a home run. Great job by them. The Patriots came out in something that didn't work, and we've covered that already here exhaustively. Uh, but what really, really exacerbated things was the Patriots came and went three and out offensively. And the problem with that is this. The Patriots come out and, you know, obviously you, as a defense, you're coming off the field after that first drive and you're going, what the fuck were we doing? We got we to gotta tune up this. What did you see? What happened? What's going on? You're looking at the pictures. You're allowed to use the tablets. You're communicating with upstairs. Everyone is trying to come by and say, okay, this did, what the hell went wrong? Should we stay in this? What should we do? That's that's the normal conversation. Meeting with your position coach, the coordinator himself will come over. That just means Bill. Uh, but any adjustments are going to make in that moment and say, okay, here's what we did, here's what they did, here's what we did, here's where it didn't work, here's what we're going to change. Or the rolling will stick with it. The problem is when the Patriots' first offensive series went three and out, there's no time to do that. You're talking two or three minutes of actual real-life time, not even clock time. They go boom, 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 and they're out. There's no time for upstairs communication, redraw a few plays, especially when the first drive was as many plays as it was. You can't go through all of those. You don't have time. You kind of just go back out on the field and do the same shit, or the play caller tries different calls. Uh, but it isn't a matter of a time or opportunity to go through everything. And that's where an offense, you know, that's where the complimentary part of football comes in. You need to, it would, would have been really imperative. Even if it was a, a Patriots 8 or 10 play drive that ends in a punt, uh, that would have been immeasurably helpful to, to get the Patriots back on track defensively. But that's where the compliment wasn't there. A really bad, you know, Tom Airmail that first, uh, first sort of little swing pass to James White. Uh, let me see if I can look here through. So if I actually have the the play-by-play -play here of that first drive, just to help remind folks who are watching this as it goes. Uh, da -da 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 -da, not just the scoring ones, folks. Uh, da -da -da -da. But uh, this is where, again, I think both parts really work together. The Patriots went with the air mall thing, then they incomplete the short pass right to, to, to White. We said that. Uh, incomplete deep middle to Sanu, and then incomplete short right uh, from a shotgun. Uh, now they don't mention here where that was, and I don't remember off the top of my head what happened. But anyway, three incompletions, no run play attempts, so it's real quick, no clock is taken away. 
three quick three quick fails there, and uh, you're back on the field. And I think that that is a sneaky little inside thing to what really hurts a defense that needed to make a change. In other words, they don't really get to go make that adjustment until later. There's just not time for the staff to meet. There's just not time for the staff to meet with the players, most importantly. And I think that really hurt them. So that's when you really rely on your other side. And defensively, it's the same way, too. If you know you offensively you're failing and the defense gets out there and they do it real quickly in a good way and get you back out on the field, sometimes you don't have that time to convene and, and it can be uh, – it can be harmful, um, but that that is uh, something to sort of keep in mind with what how those sequences of the first three ugly ugly things went down. But offensively, after that, really, really good. And I think uh, I had forgotten until the rewatch how effective the running game was at certain points. I mean, the very first run of the game is a really nice 10-yard Sony Michelle run. Um, the the big touchdown drive later in the game where they, they went into straight-up hurry-up mode spread them out uh, was there was there were several nice runs by James White and uh, Zoe and I and uh, Bob Soshi on our, our Patriots this week show prior to taping this thing we already kind of had this conversation and hashed it out and you know Zoe seemed to be pretty heavy on the idea that this could become an exclusively zone uh, sub running team and I'm open to the idea of it after we're sort of watching the tape back and going you know what maybe that's when and where they run the football the most when they get you tired they spread you out and James White get the man more carries he's a really good back um, I think in your more traditional stuff, it's a coin flip from my view if it's Sony or Rex, clearly a different style. But Sony didn't really have ineffective runs here. He had the nice pass catch for something. He just wasn't leaned upon heavily. So, you know, if they're going to completely migrate away from the traditional runs where there's tight end or two on the field, in this game it was single tight end. You know, uh, Ryan Izzo was active, didn't get the field, get on the field. So this was um, uh, Ben Watson. Doing a nice job as an edge blocker. Uh, that Ben was really, really helpful in this game, folks. And it, it's something that's not going to show up in the box score, but it's something that's much, much better than when they were dealing with the two young guys in, in previous weeks before Ben returned. But Ben really saved the day on a lot of these blitz pickups and a lot of these rush pickups. Once the Patriots went quick, once the Patriots were a couple series into this, Brady calling Ben in, moving Ben around. Ben helped so many times with Newhouse on one side, with Cannon on the other, just with, with the blitz pickup where they had a back on one and they needed to tie into the other. Ben gets that stuff mentally right almost all the time. And when they started having those really good series, the Patriots, this is more middle of the game, your second and third quarter drives offensively. Uh, ben was a big part of that. And it, it's, again, you're going to go, oh, he only caught the one ball or, oh, I, I remember him missing on a couple. That's, that's besides the point. His addition here is more about pickup reliability, the occasional dump off. They are much, much better at the tight end position right now than they were early in the season. I think it's important to to put that in perspective and understand what's going on with that. Um, now, I'll, I'll make this quick going away point, and I, I understand this happens, you know, for the whatever I finished my last, I filed my papers in 09. So I've been doing this, I think I started in 2011 after I left Babson. Uh, so basically eight, eight-ish years or so of doing this analysis stuff of, of watching the team and breaking them down and doing all this stuff. This happens every year. Um, there'll be periods of, of failure, periods of struggle, and there will be a guy who gets, in my view, unfairly 
sort of pigeonholed with being the air quote problem. And right now it's Newhouse at left tackle. And uh, I think sometimes the broadcast will mislead people into thinking these things because you can restate the narrative. Um, you see Newhouse fail. There was one particular sequence in this game where he had two bad plays in a row. He actually got beat. Didn't give. He gave up a pressure, uh, but he got beat right off the bat. Uh, and then he got a holding call the next play. So it's those back-to-back plays. Then the broadcast goes into, you know, the broadcast team goes into, oh, Newhouse is here. He's the backup tackle. He's, uh, you know, it's just not the same without Isaiah Wynn, the guy they preferred to have there. And, you know, fans at home will reasonably see that and go, oh, this guy's fucking killing us. Oh, Newhouse sucks. You know, and that's the kind of stuff. You see it on Twitter. People, you know, jump in there. Oh, this guy's dog shit. When is he going to be gone? Newhouse sucks. Newhouse sucks. That's what people do. And because they see two plays. Guy had 60-plus snaps. I wanted to go back, and I did this uh, because, you know, obviously this offensive line is not performing at its highest high. It's There was a sequence here where they were pretty good, back to the 50% from red zone, and that's a separate story here I did want to touch on. But 50% in the red zone, not good enough, uh, again, from this Patriots offense. But the offensive struggles to being a, a high 20s offense as opposed to a consistent or high to low 20s offense to a consistent 30-point offense that they were a year ago, that's one score essentially, and it is not because of the tackle position. It'll be great when Isaiah Wynn gets back, and you'll be a mark ahead of that. You'll be, you'll be a, a guy that wins more consistently at the lap tackle position, presuming he stays healthy. But Newhouse is not failing anywhere near as much, I think, people get the impression from a couple plays that they see, the broadcast pile on, and then maybe talk radio building it up because it's a name they don't know. But you go back, and I would challenge anyone who thinks otherwise here. I checked because I wanted, you know, it's not, a guy doesn't keep that job if he sucks. A guy doesn't keep that job if he's losing at the rate that I think people think he's losing. Went back, watched every single snap. Uh, Newhouse in this game did not have more negative plays than would even Shaq Mason. And I think Shaq Mason's a name we all love and appreciate, a guy that's a really good player in this offense. But Shaq has had his, it had certainly had his fair share of failures, plays that hurt him, guys that got penetration, stuff that he gave up, a pressure or something that blows up a run. He's not having them at any different rate than Newhouse is. And you can say that at the center position with Karras, Overall solid job, but he gives some up, yes. And even Marcus Cannon, it's just it's it's more of a collective point. Collectively, the offensive line has not played at the level they did a year ago. Newhouse gets killed because he's the new name, and they see no more. Per, the, the group doesn't work as good as it did a year ago. Newhouse is new. I don't know who that person is. Brown was better supposedly a year ago, and he was. He was a bigger physical presence. He got more movement, but he would still give up a couple plays as well too. But the one thing I would challenge the people that if you really just think, bullshit, Chatham, I don't believe you it's really easy. Just go get your NFL game pass, go click on the game, watch every single snap the guy took, and the point will be easily proven. Uh, he is doing a, a solid job. The word solid doesn't mean that he wins every snap. Obviously, he's not winning every snap. He is winning a pretty high average of his snaps. There's a lot of left tackle play in the NFL that's worse than his. That's not debatable. We watch it each week when we study the other side. But what Newhouse is getting is he's getting Kyle Arrington. That's what I call it. Kyle Arrington would have those two bad plays on a broadcast. Everyone at home sees it. He gets killed. The the talk radio guys who don't watch shit but the broadcasts go after him. And uh, you have to, I think, go back and study if a guy really, really sucks and is struggling. And uh, Newhouse 
versus not. You know, again, go back through those drives where they're going, the scoring drives that the Patriots have, and watch the blocks that he picks up. He did a really nice job on a lot of their top plays. A lot of those top drives is really solid play throughout from Newhouse. It just is. So these things aren't debatable. It's just fact-checkable. And if you're relying simply upon the, hey, uh, I saw those two plays, he sucks, he blows, you're not getting it. Okay, so... And this is, again, this is not the point to say it's all really good and it's all rosy and cheery and fine. If that's what you heard, well, that's not what I said either. What I'm saying is the collective offensive line play uh, has been a full step below. And to pinpoint it on Newhouse alone is to not have watched it or not have watched or studied how it broke down. So will they be better with Isaiah Wynn? I think so, yes, and here's the reason. What Newhouse does do is even when winning his blocks, he's a position blocker. He's not getting the movement that Trent Brown would who does he's a monster he's 6'8 and 350 pounds or whatever but he's more of a position blocker he's not as long as Nate Solder so the round the trip around him isn't as long he's a guy that walls his guy off but sometimes gets more push so Brady can feel a little more pressure there's not as much room to to sort of manipulate the pocket and slide back to the left with Newhouse in there but as far as guys get just simply getting around him the idea of a turnstile and things like that that does not hold up to study it doesn't so he does win his block very often and I think it's unfortunate when a player at a professional level starts to get an MO off of a couple plays on a broadcast and then a reference to another guy that's injured. Well, you're new, you're sucks, and you suck, and you must suck because the offense isn't the same. It's on you. This is one of those telltale things. It was Kyle Arrington. Kyle Arrington sucks, and then he goes out, and wait a minute. No, he's actually one of the better slot guys at the time that, that he was getting killed. It's just a couple bad plays, and they aren't good. There's, there's no defending those bad plays. They are bad plays, but you have to look at the rest of what he does uh, to understand what the guy's doing for the team. And again, it's a backup left tackle. I'm not sure what the expectation there would be but to expect a backup left tackle signed off the street to have played at Trent Brown's level or even a first rounder's level that's not reasonable to have done it at the level he has and keep this thing moving in the right direction I think is actually pretty good I don't know what the expectation otherwise would have been but it's not reasonable he's doing a air quote good job he's not doing a great job at all no one's saying that it's certainly not my argument but to put the the problems of the offense on Newhouse makes no football sense it's fact checkable I did it that's the fact now moving on here with the offense uh, I would say the Muhammad Sanu thing is the absolute silver lining of this deal he is tremendous he's everything we built up in previous times Zoe and I were talking about this uh, you know at our show earlier in the week and was like can you think about a time in the history of, of Patriot football where a guy that was either traded here signed here late um, you know, whatever that gets here within a matter of two weeks, gets 14 target targets from Tom Brady. I've never seen that a guy that was gone that arrives that picks it up and gets 14 targets. That is ludicrous. That is such an incredibly good sign that he wins tight coverage because he snatches it, catches the ball away from himself. Uh, this is just, this is the, the manna from heaven. This is the stuff you wanted. This is a really positive sign. A back and forth offense between Edelman to Sanu to Edelman to Sanu to Edelman to Sanu down after down with Nikhil Harry eventually moved in there. I'm not getting into the why he is or isn't up and I'm not worried or concerned about any of that stuff. If you want to be 
that's your own misery that you can deal with. And I think the listener to this show is not going to go down that route. Do I know why he wasn't quite yet ready? No. Do I think it's some sort of treatise on his entire career, future here, or everything that's happened at this point? No. He's a young guy. He missed a huge chunk of time. They don't feel like he's quite up and ready. And I think in part because so much of this game ended up being no huddle, if they had anticipated that and felt like he wasn't quite ready to be that kind of guy, it makes sense that he's not as involved. I think even a guy like Jacoby Myers, who's been really, really positive this team, seeing that Jacoby and the, the, the sets they chose, I think he played like one play. He was barely ever out there. Uh, and that that's telling as to what they had anticipated the game was going to be like, the kind of stuff they would be using, and that Nikhil wouldn't be as helpful in that world. Um, I, I That is more telling to me than his development or his trust or blah, blah, blah. Let's look and see where Nikhil's role is here moving forward. It's really an ideal situation for them. They get lots of extra week here. You get in a bye week for it. You get to work into another another week now where maybe they're not doing quite those same things. And I think he, Nikhil can certainly help in ISO, as I talked a little bit on last week's show, uh, moving forward. So that's where I think this offense is. Um, gritty, tough, not good enough in the, in the red zone, protecting Tom quite well, uh, but not perfectly. And you're going to see with Isaiah when, when he returns, presumably healthily. The thing, and I, I guess I, I, I ventured away from this point, where I think he'll be stouter is he won't give ground to tighten the pocket around Tom. What he was so good at is holding his ground once he punched. He's not longer, so going around him will be similar to going around uh, Newhouse as far as just like body type. We're not talking about the 6'8 guys that are super long, and a change there will make it feel different in the pocket. He's athletic. He jump, He will block better than Newhouse out in space. He will chase down screens presumably better. He'll climb to the second level and kill linebackers. You'll love seeing that. I think the run difference with uh, with Isaiah Wynn will be hopefully the part that at least from the handful of times he's seen him will be the dump, jump and the bump. But as far as just straight, hey, you'll no longer keep getting beat off the left side, that's not been what's happening anyhow. Again, go back to the winning drives and you'll see that. I think what you'll get is a stouter, a little bit more space because you'll short set and still be able to get it without floating back into the quarterback. Um, that will be exciting, and I think maybe collectively it moves forward, but maybe it doesn't because there's been inconsistency at the other four spots as well. So this is certainly not just a man about that spot. So I hope that I haven't built this up as – and I wanted to stray away from that. Hey, Isaiah Wynn returns. Everything is now fixed and, and ailed. I, I, I guarantee you if I'm on here having this same kind of dude's conversation with with uh, Dante Scarnecchia, he's not seeing it or saying it that way. He just isn't because uh, I don't think that would be accurate or fair to all the people that are involved here. So uh, that's really kind of my view on this whole game. It was a lost opportunity. It was a day of poor overall execution. Uh, there were some certainly silver linings. Sanu is one of them. I thought Brady was super, uh, super, super effective in the hurry-up stuff. You really got to see the master's class thing. And I should make this quick going away point. I don't mind Brady throwing the interception. I think situational football, that was actually a good interception if you ever get one of those things. Third and 10 on the 48. He's throwing that off his back foot on, I think, the far 46. Uh, and he throws a ball, you know, 55 yards in the air, whatever it is. It's intercepted on the far six-ish, which is basically a punt. So if you watch the route distribution and what's happened in that play, when you got to a certain extent where dump-off wouldn't have been how I don't think they had a dump-off portion of the route that would have been open. It would have risked an interception if you'd thrown it. You can technically throw maybe, uh, you know, throw the ball in the gouges, throw an interception, and then punt that. But to get the ball fielded on the sixth on a punt, isn't you know isn't necessarily a guaranteed thing. You often end up with touchbacks in that spot, or you flow one high and you get on the fifteen. What he does here is he throws it all the way down to the far six. That's almost like a punt. It works like a punt, and I think that had to have been the thought going through his mind. I throw up the hail mary down there where the 
it doesn't work out for him, but I think they could have been better, is that Sanu has to do a decent, a better job there of tagging him down. So the interception happens. It is your punt. It's okay to have that be your punt, uh, but you didn't tag him down. So then he catches on the six and then returns at 20-some yards, 25 yards, whatever it was. So that's where it ends up being not looking quite as well. But just the fact that he threw the pick, situationally, that's one where you actually are okay with it. If you're going to do that, toss it up. It works like a punt. That is actually good enough stuff. And uh, unfortunately, there was later in that day, that same um, – uh, another offensive drive there that stalled for reasons of sort of, I think that was the hole in the, the, uh, the uh, well, I don't know. There was, there was a sequence there of mistakes happened again where they had unseated themselves. But offensively, overall, they're going to say it, not good enough because we didn't win. But I think there were some silver linings in this. This is a day where really the defense is going to take more of the blame. And they'd probably tell you that themselves. But, um, you know, this is the Razor Show. This is Matt Chatham, and I really enjoy you guys coming and sitting through with me and being patient and letting me get all the way through it and explain it as as exhaustively as I could. Um, They're going to need to learn from this one, but sometimes it's it's helpful to take that medicine. And uh, it was never this team's goal uh, to to go 16-0. They just want to get better every day. Uh, They want to go out there and make sure they're competitive each and every week. Uh, There were moments here where you saw the moxie, and there were moments where there were very, very disappointing letdowns. There are going to be weeks like that. We know that from a year ago. The Jacksonville game was a hot match. The Detroit game, a hot mess. The Pittsburgh game, incredibly disappointing what they were putting up uh, offensively. Uh, The absence of the run game, the inability to stop the run game. And that was a late December game. And what did they do? They went and won the Super Bowl. You have to remember that about this team. The best thing you like about the Patriots that should give you faith in what they have going forward, regardless of who they're playing, is the personalities. The leadership group of the Kyle Van Noys and the Dante Hightowers and and the Jason and Deb, excuse me, Deb McCourty and Jason McCourty. This is a group that gets it. This is a group that knows how to go back and fix it. It's a really smart staff and Belichick and Mayo and young Belichick on the other side that they're going to see these things long before I ever would, and they'll make the adjustments. You'll have faith that they will. Offensively, Tom and Josh are going to figure it out, and it's only going to get better as their guys get back and they get them longer in the system. Offensively, I would really like to see what's going to happen with the second tight end position. You go into a game extremely exposed to bring up Izzo, but then just have him sit for the entire contest as far as offensive reps. If they're going without a fullback, and I don't know what the world of street fullbacks is out there, if there's a guy that's on someone else's practice squad that they really scouted, that's something I would look for throughout the rest of the season. Will they feel comfortable enough, or will they feel a need to go out and get a fullback? I think they exist. Uh, That's just my guess, maybe not a very educated guess, but is there a big, you know, like what we saw from Baltimore, a converted defensive lineman who's over there just winning blocks and uh, just a giant meathead that's going to go plow through stuff. They miss James Devlin quite a bit right now. So, you know, maybe resolving either that or having another tight end, but going into a game like that with really only one tight end that they're willing to use and no fullback, that's a giant handicap for an offense. So to be able to put together what they were able to put together under the circumstances, especially with a turnover uh, right after halftime that's seven yards in the other direction. We know Jules is nails. We know Jules has come up so many millions of times for this organization. It just feels wrong to even, you know, hammer him for that. But they understand as much as anyone how much of a of a killer that was. They score before half to make it 17-14. They go back out and uh, they drive and move the ball down the field and give up seven the other direction. That was such an incredible swing in the game. You just know that you can't have that. But do you have faith that they'll make they'll they'll never make those mistakes again? I think that's a pretty safe faith to have. But again, I hope you enjoyed this show. I hope it was educational. I hope it sort of helps 
take a deep breath and push away from the table and not get too consumed by the hot take stuff. This certainly wasn't, hey, it's all okay. It, it wasn't. Uh, it was a really, really bad day's work. Uh, they don't like losing by 17 to anyone, especially a team that I think they match up quite well with but didn't execute well enough uh, or or really game plan well enough against. And, uh, you know, tip of the cap, deep bow at the hips to Baltimore. They got this one. Uh, we'll see where they are later in the year. But they've got many other challenges that need to come before that, so it's easy to shift the attention away from that, refocus, and get back to work as this organization is always so want to do. That's the Razor Show. I'm Matt Chatham. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'll talk to you again on the other side. Enjoy the bye week. Bye now.